Is there any reason to believe that markets will be more efficient than government? I mean, after all, aren't ca greedy capitalists just looking after a profit? They've not got the interest, the altruism, to look after the needs of their customers, whereas the government is, of course, elected by the people and therefore should serve people's needs better than corporations. Is that the case? We're going to discuss that on this episode 78 of the Be Yourself and Love It podcast with me, Anthony Samaroff. Now, those of you who watch the regular show might be wondering, where is Tam? The show is no good without Tam. Well, it has been snowing like hell in Scotland and we live in different cities and the transport has been off. So this is the first time I've ever made a presentation like this live. We've got a couple of episodes I did on my own. One was called war and freedom another one was called only capitalism can save the planet socialism will destroy the earth um you can uh, but this is the first one i've ever done live so bear with me because i need to think on my feet and usually i have a co-host to hold space while i'm doing that so i've heard people say things like there's no reason why the public body should be any less efficient than private companies. I mean, that's just a right-wing assumption. There's no reason to believe that that's true. And I mean, I guess we can also, there is a, got some intuitive value because you we all see people make stupid choices, right? You've seen a fat person eating ice cream after a Big Mac when you know that that's not a good choice that's in their self-interest. Maybe it's in their short-term self-interest, but maybe if they had the willpower, they wouldn't be making that. And and you don't have to be a paternalist, you know, someone who thinks that the government will look after us. Maybe you think we should have a nanny state, you know, the, the, the government knows at least that smoking's bad and can tax smoking to discourage it. You don't need to be a paternalist to make an argument for central planning. You can say, well, you know, people are just acting on their impulses in the moment. But if we get the right people in government, they can go and consult the studies and ask experts to discover what is best for people. And they will be able to make decisions based on more information, whereas we're just, as consumers, making short-term decisions. Um, and that, that sounds compelling to some people. I mean, why not tax alcohol if it, um, to, to fund treatment for alcohol? If you, you, why not tax sugar and put a subsidy on fruits and vegetables? Interesting that the government hasn't done that yet. You know, we're, we're meant to believe that it's very interested in our health, but, um, and yet, you know, fruits and vegetables, which are the building blocks of health, have gone up in price relative to confectionaries. I don't want to give the central planners any ideas, but, um, you know, it's interesting. We can discuss why that is. I mean, smokers are an easy target because there's less and less smokers. So it's easy to put a tax on that. And most people don't mind. Um, but most people do eat uh, confectionery. Most people do eat meat, you know. So when you've got a whole bunch of farming subsidies for the meat and dairy industry, um, you know, people don't protest that very much. Uh, they think you need to take care of the farmers, don't you? So it's, it's quite interesting. Um, that it shows that the government are actually beholden to the public to some degree. I mean, if we have all these irrational short-term prejudices, then 
since we live in a democracy, we're going to vote on those rash, irrational short-term prejudices and the government is going to have to cater to them. But there's there's more to it than that as well. We're going to talk about what um, incentives government officials have, why they might make the kind of the, the kind of decisions that they make because uh, also the, the the government might the government officials might be beholden to these short-term irrational prejudices just as much as we are the the difference is that when i make a stupid decision when i have a pizza for lunch when i know that i've got to go to the gym later and it's going to make it really difficult for me to go to the gym it affects me personally but when the government makes a decision like that it affects someone else so anyway we'll be talking more about that thank you to the four people who are already tuning in live i will get to your comments i will get to your comments and uh, see if i can respond to those so um, um let me see so um yeah i mean it's interesting because we're, people don't uh, there's economists come out of the with these examples of how people don't make rational decisions like for example they might not evaluate the rewards over time or if you offer people this gamble where you say you've got 50 percent chance of winning a hundred dollars uh, they might take it but if you phrase it differently you say you give them the 500 dollars but um the, uh, but then they stand to lose it, even though, in, even though in theory, it's the same gamble. I don't know the exact experiment. When they feel like they stand to lose something, they're more likely to forget about it, to 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 decide not to make the gamble than if they think they're likely to gain something. So they say this is evidence that. Um, we have market failures or group rationality failures and things like that, and we need the government to step in. So, yeah, but in order to believe that, you first need to believe that the government aren't subject to the same irrational biases as people. And the, the interesting thing is coming back to the voter as a identity person who's going to have certain irrational prejudices as a voter, this is very much uh, demonstrated by the economist Brian Kaplan, who wrote a book called The Myth of the Rational Voter, in which he said, if you go to political scientists and say, do you think people have biases when they vote? Uh, do you think they vote rationally? They say, no, 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 but it's okay, because some of them will be irrational this way, and some of them will be irrational the other way, and the will meet in the middle, because the say there's 40 people who are rational to the left, and 40 percent of people who are rational to the right the 20 percent of people who've done their research win but the thing is he noted from the studies that people have systematic biases for example they're there there's an anti-market bias where they see they underestimate the social benefits of trade and they're skeptical of people making profits from solving problems whereas economists are worried if people don't make a profit like say if i'm an economist i can't think of a way that people would make a profit solving air pollution then i'm worried about air pollution and then i think the government might should be stepping in whereas if i think that i don't know there's a problem with a certain disease but there's a big profit to be made from curing that disease i'm happy with that 
I know someone will step in to cater to that demand. Whereas the public tend to think, oh, they're making a profit, they're bad. They also have a anti foreign, people have an anti foreign bias. They underestimate the benefits of globalization and free trade. If you're on the right, you think that people in other countries are taking our jobs. If you're on the left, you think we're exploiting people over there. Whereas economists tend to think that free trade is a good thing, it's mutually beneficial for us. We get cheap goods, people in the third world get our money, and they can develop and become self sufficient. Um, and um, so, government officials, even if they know better, might have to accept wrong policies to get the vote. So, um, and I should really talk about public versus private because I'm talking a bit about incentives in private public sector. There is actually some studies on this. Mary Ruhr, in her book Healing Our World, says that privately provided goods tend to cost half as much as the same goods in the public sector. And she cites um, Jay Hilk, Cost Savings from Privatization, a compilation of study findings. So there's a meta-analysis that came out in 1993 that uh, compares and, and shows that um, private sector does things cheaper and more efficiently. And the other one is T.E. Borcherding, what a weird name, the sources of growth in public expenditure in the US. And those studies, those meta-analyses demonstrate. But why is that? Why is it that the private sector is able to provide things cheaper and more efficiently? Well, first of all, the public sector cannot compare its performance to other people who are providing the same um, services. So they can't optimize by by adopting best practices. When you're in the free market, if you fall a little bit behind a competitor because they find a more efficient way of saving bureaucratic costs, then your product's going to be cheaper, So sorry, more expensive. So people are going to migrate against that product. Now, it might be that you produce the red widget and the red widget has got a series of features which are beneficial, and someone else um, produces the blue widget, which has a different quality. It's good in different ways. Some people like the red widget, some people like the blue widget. At least each person gets what they want. In the public sector, uh, it's basically, you need a one-size-fits-all solution, and that is hard to do over an economy of over 60 million here, never mind over 300 million in the, in the United States. Someone might come along and develop the purple widget, which combines the best features of the blue widget and the red widget, and then they step ahead. So one reason is the market allows multiple solutions to bloom at the same time. People can take the one that they want. People can find ways of combining different solutions and things get better over time, like your iPad or your, your iPhone or your laptop. They, they come up with better stuff all the time and it's cheaper. You know, most people couldn't afford a laptop. 10 years ago. Now, now, you know, people having one computer in the house was great in the 90s. Now you have households where everyone's got their own laptop. So another reason is you pay whether you like it or not. You take what you can get when it comes to public institutions. And we can talk about voting and lobbying. In fact, I'm going to in a minute. But it's pretty hard to get them to change because the best thing you can do is complain. Whereas on the free market, you just take your money elsewhere because there are so many solutions. So 
corporations have a duty to please their customers. If they don't, they go out of business. You can't take your business elsewhere when it comes to the government because you pay through it for it through the tax system. Another problem is a lot of the time the government makes it illegal to compete. So even if, or, or it makes it very hard. So you, it might be illegal to provide security services, but it's certainly um, very highly regulated to do private or healthcare or education. Plus, if I want to send myself to my, my children to private school, I also have to pay for the public schools through the tax system. So I might as well get the free thing. So that makes it, um, and, and the public schools will be, private schools will be highly, highly, highly regulated. So this is the reason why uh, corporations are more efficient, typically speaking, than the public sector. Because if I said the only person who was allowed to open a coffee shop was Starbucks, and you had to pay for Starbucks whether you liked it or not, do you think Starbucks would make a good cup of coffee? Probably not. But as soon as you, and, um, as soon as you allow several different coffee places to emerge, not only will the general standard of the coffee tend to be higher, but you'll have a choice. You can pay more for a luxury coffee, or if you just want one on the go, then you can you can pay less for a, a filter coffee. A lot of places do cheap ones of those now. So here's another one. Um, government and uh, departments aren't really incentivized to um, solve problems. So. Uh, Milton Friedman came up with this. There's four ways of spending money. If I spend my money on me, I care about the quality and good value. If I spell, spend my money on you, I want something cheap, but I'm not as bothered as the quality. If I spend your money on me, well, I definitely want the highest quality, but I'm not too fussed about how expensive it is. If I'm spending someone else's money on someone else, I've not got a vested interest in the quality or the or or how efficient it is. So I don't have the incentive to to think about that because of lowering the cost of delivery. Now you could say, oh well, what if I get voted out of power and governments always are trying to get consultants in to lower costs and things like that. But at the end of the day, when you vote for a party, you vote for a package deal. So even if they're good in one area, you have to vote for them even though they're terrible in a bunch of other areas. It's not like that with the market. I can get my lettuce from this vegetable provider and my apple from that fruit provider. You know, I can get my coffee in a good coffee place and my tea in a good tea place. I can I can mix and match. I can, you know, and I can't do that. Uh, everything I buy, I can get the bet. I can try and broker the best deal for myself. Whereas with the government, I need to choose a package deal. So markets will always put an upward pressure on quality and a downward pressure on price. Because there's competition, people are looking for the best product at the best price and the government is just not under those pressures. And so, and another thing is, in some cases, right, if you're really poor and inefficient in the private sector, you just simply go out of business. But there's government departments who are the only department that do what they do and they ain't going out in business no matter how bad a job they do. So if the FDA um, approves a drug that kills a bunch of people or they hold one off the market for 20 years, even though it's safe and a bunch of people die, no one's going, and this comes out and it's a scandal. It's not going out of business. If there was several different bodies that could compare their 
results and one comes out as corrupt, people will flock to the other body. Now, even if a department is inefficient and costs too much money, they don't, or if they don't solve a problem, supposing we have a government department that's charged with the job of curing heroin addiction, right? And we do a really bad job, heroin addiction goes up. Well, we just say, oh, well, we didn't have enough money to do the job properly. And we might get more money by doing that. You know, so, so, and, and you can't, and you can't go, well, I'm not, I'm not uh, funding that again, because it's not a charity, you have to pay for it. Now, that, that happens. In fact, I was told recently listening to a podcast where an ex-soldier said that they were basically told to launch a bunch of missiles that cost $800,000 a piece because if they didn't get rid of all of them, then they might get cut during the budget next time. When my mother was in the Israeli army, she there was mandatory um, national service in, in her country. Um, she said that she was always very careful with what she spent, and everyone and the other people would say to her, "Why are you doing that? If we if we don't if we spend our pocket money, if we spend all our pocket money, then we say we don't have m enough money, uh, and that's possible to do because the 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 pr public purse." has no strings, you know, it's a bottomless purse because you can always print more money, you can always uh, kick the can down the road, go into more national debt, etc. Um, whereas when you're a business, you have to weigh your spending against the amount of money that people are actually willing to pay for your product. So that would be another reason why the public sector is <coughs> less efficient or got less efficient um, incentive to be efficient in the private sector. Another thing is, even if you identify lack of efficiency in public institutions, I, I kind of covered this slightly, but it's hard to get them to change. And there's reasons why. One is majoritarian democracy, which is basically you need to convince enough people that this change needs to be made. And supposing it's a small change on the grand scheme of things, do they really have the time? They're rationally ignorant. Do they have the time to dedicate to joining your pressure group and becoming really involved and convincing other people when people's minds are so hard to change? Um, uh, you need to get into the media. Are the media gonna be interested? And even if you get the, enough support to get a party to adopt it into their platform, you have to make you have to get that party into power. They are not promised. They don't. They, 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 there's no consequence to them if they don't fulfil their campaign promise, even if they do get them in. And given that they've got a whole platform, you might actually voting in a party that believes in lots of things that you hate, that you disagree with. But you have to to get that one efficiency changed. Whereas in the market, I don't like that product. I just buy an alternative one. I'm just going to buy an alternative one. That is why the private sector is more efficient than the public sector. Because it's not like, oh, if we if there's one problem with this, uh, I don't know, oil tanker, we need to replace the whole oil tanker. No, you just you, you can keep all of your spending habits exactly the same, but just change change one purchase from soya milk. Now that you've seen. Paul Joseph Watson's video on soy boys to cashew nut milk. You know, that's it. It's not like you have to change the whole supermarket to get one change made. Okay, so even if you get a small concentrated number of people on board who have a lot of influence and get them to push it through, 
it still needs to go through layers of bureaucracy, managers, administrators, before the change enters the system. It could even take decades. It could be irrelevant. And then you have the problem of public sector employees not really wanting to change. I mean, look what happens every time there's an education reform. The teachers all go, who are the government to tell us how we should be teaching, right? Um, okay, well, maybe they do know better, but then who taught them to teach? Didn't they learn it in universities that were heavily influenced by government spending an ideology on how to teach? There's been lots of evidence on how to teach that's come out since the, the 60s and the schools have not responded to it. Um, there's evidence on homework uh, that it's not beneficial. There's evidence on grades that they're not beneficial. Evidence on exams that are not a good form of assessment. A better form of assessment is getting people to put portfolios together uh, during the year. Um, you can watch a video that I put out called Anti-Empirical Education for more. Uh, but there's loads of things about the schooling system which does not teach the way that the evidence says that people learn. On a free market, all the schools would try out and try and come up with the best practices of how to teach. And if anything got discovered, other schools would copy it. That's how it works. You try things out and people would go, oh, but you can't because people will do weird things in the school. I'm telling you, the things they're doing in the schools are already weird. If you can go to 11 to 13 years of mandatory education and come out the other end, unable to find a minimum wage job, that school system has failed you. So everyone's getting failed right now. But that's just, I don't mean to pick on teachers, but that's just an example of how resistant to change public institutions can be. So why do markets work? Because I've talked about why public institutions don't work. And um, I've got um, someone saying, get a better webcam. Well, do you know what? It's just a bandwidth. You're just gonna have to deal with it, sir. Uh, content over appearances of getting some smiley faces and thumbs up no uh, no um actual comments start comments but uh, maybe maybe at the end so why markets work well first of all obviously as i've said products need to constantly adapt to user preferences rather than one size fits all and people can get different needs right if only one person needs to be bothered to actually make a new innovation it's not like everyone, it's not like you need the whole government to accept the innovation. One entrepreneur improves the product. And now all of a sudden, it's cheaper. If the other companies in the sector do not match that price or give another benefit that isn't related to price, then they're priced out the market or people say that's a better quality product. You know, if someone came out with a smartphone that was twice as fast tomorrow, well, I mean, we all know what people would be upgrading to um, and everyone else would need to pull their socks up. So that's one thing. The, the great thing is that can be, that also plans get tested. So I make an innovation and a few people adopt it and they go, oh, that's a really good product. Oh, where did you get that? Their friends say, and then more people buy it and more people buy it. Whereas, that means it needs to be tested and proved before it gets adopted by the whole society. Whereas the best thing that the government can do is make a plan for everyone and fingers crossed it goes well. Uh, very often it won't because there's so many people to account for that have different preferences. Bottom line is, 
um, at least on the market, you launch a product, it gets tested, people try it out. If they like it, more people buy it, it gets a little bit buzz and it spreads bit by bit. So that avoids any disasters. I mean, imagine the government said tomorrow, we're going to spend uh, 200 billion on getting these solar panels on people's roofs because they're really good and they're going to stop global warming. And then a half a year into this project, someone develops a solar panel that's twice as efficient. They just wasted all those resources. Instead, they should let people adopt those themselves as they become economical. And then you won't you won't come across disasters like that because you have a cautious market-based approach. So um, so ser services that are way behind the times fall out of favor. Now, people always make this example of what about VHS versus Betamax? Like Betamax was better than VHS, but VHS became more popular. Well, I mean, that does happen sometimes. The point is the market gets it right on average over time. Remember that on average over time, because what happened? What won out really? DVD won out. Blu-ray one out, those were better than either Betamax or VHS. And if you look at the scale of time between video coming out and DVD coming out, it's really not that long. It's not really not that long a period of time, actually. Um, it might have seemed that way at the time, but it's like now everyone's using the best. Uh, no one, no one even, hardly anyone even buys DVD or Blu-ray anymore. We've actually saved the environment because people watch so much online on Netflix and, and other things like that. So the best service wins out on average over time. And it's not because of ruthless tooth and nail competition. You know, it's because people will generally pick the best deal for themselves. Yeah, sometimes we make irrational decisions. Yeah, I buy that burger even though I know it's not bad for me, uh, good for me, but afterwards I feel like crap and I go, well, uh, so it's gonna be a few weeks before I make that decision again, or I tell people not to go there or you know, or whatever it is. Um, so it's, it's choice that leads to innovation, not tooth and nail competition. I really hate when people say market competition because there's competition in every system, even in a centrally planned economy where the central planners decide everything. If you, I'm a filmmaker and you're a filmmaker, one of us needs to get the grant from the government. So isn't that competition? Oh, well, they give every filmmaker a grant. Well, the people at home still need to choose which movie to go see. They can't see them both at once. So it's still competition. Competition arises under any circumstances where there is scarcity. So it's not market competition. It's like, it's like the, sorry, the capitalism is not a system of competition. Capitalism is a system of the voluntary exchange of goods and services. Remember that capitalism is a system of the voluntary exchange of goods and services. Some competition arises out of that. But that would happen in any system. So, I mean, if you invite me over for a tea and my other friend invites me over to watch a movie on the same night, I can't go to both. Does that mean that friendship is a system of competition? No, it's just the reality is that I can't be at two places at once. So, yeah, if I run an event and you run an event on the same night, we're in competition, but we can also put our heads together. We can also say, right, I'll tell you what, I'll run mine next week, you run yours next week, and we'll promote each other's event. Or we could say, why don't we just bring it together to make a big event? 
or we go, well, my audience is different from your audience, so it's okay for us to both run. Now, you're allowed to do that on a free market. You might not be allowed to do it in the kind of crony capitalist system we have now, because the government will come in and say, you're colluding, that can't possibly be in the public interest, because all of a sudden the, the statists like competition when they're consumers. Okay, So yes, there is competition in capitalism, but it's a competition to serve the customer the best, whereas in a centrally planned economy, it's competition to bribe the voter or to bribe your campaign contributors, and that's where the real tooth and nail comes into it. That's where the real tooth and nail comes in when the when people are uh, bidding for government contracts because now we can make more money from making the government our client than by serving our customers. So people have limited resources and they will tend to, so you could say that what you spend your money on is about the best measure of our preferences as we can find. It's not a completely objective measure. It might be, you might be buying on impulse and later on you'll think I didn't really value that as much as I thought I did but it's about the best we can get because I can buy a McDonald's or a Burger King and if they cost the same price which they don't like I need to I factor in the difference in price and see I personally am a vegetarian so you won't see me in either one but it's a it's a you know that's my that's my market choice. If more people go vegetarian, then as I've seen during the course of time, uh, the the vegetarian substitutes just get better and better and better. Why? Because the private sector is adaptive to the needs of people, and more and more people are coming vegetarian and vegan. So there, the market is providing and making it easier and easier for us to enjoy our diet. So, um, the 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 these. Our spending choices give signals to entrepreneurs of what they should make more of and what they should make less of. And without that buying-selling phenomenon, uh, which the government is not subject to, uh, it does not have the signals, it does not have the information of what it should be doing more of and what it should be doing less of. And besides, they, even if they do have the information, they might go, well, bugger it, I don't want to retrain and change my, my, my you know, a, a company has to change, whereas the government just goes, well, even if we do know better information, we might not want to change because then we need to do some hard work and we need to retrain and we need to learn a whole bunch of stuff. And, and then they go on strike with their public sector unions <laughs> to, to say that the government is oppressing them by uh, trying to get them to change their habits. So, um, yeah, you know, we were told about these emotional reasoning, like a good, um, a good estate agent will take you around a few houses uh, that aren't that good, and then take you to a good, a better looking one and charge you the same price to get you to pay more than you would otherwise pay. And um, we are, we are, uh, and we're told that this is evidence that, um, consumers are not uh, rational. Well, okay, a good politician will talk you into voting for them, even though they've not really got a very good platform, okay? And, and because you're rational, you're gonna vote for that politician, right? Better keep it in the private sector. Um, another thing is, you know, yeah, obviously people go, oh, well, that rich person bought a yacht. How, another yacht, a second, third yacht. Okay, we might judge them for that. That's still, the amount of people that have to go in to making a yacht is quite a lot. That's quite a lot of people quite gainfully employed, right? You can think that they're just entering a dick. But the thing is, if we say that, if we say, oh, 
that woman's so shallow she spent $1,200 on a Gucci bag like who does she think she is doesn't know she know they're starving kids in Africa she doesn't need that bag I agree I look down on her as well but I'm not willing to stop her from doing it you know I'm not willing to use the force of government because I don't need dessert okay my dessert might feed a starving African for a week do I want a government official coming in and saying, you can never eat dessert again. You need to spend all your resources wisely and we'll, we'll tax you for, for your little pleasures, your irrational pleasures. And if we're gonna talk about inefficient allocation of resources, like people buying their third yacht when they should really just um, uh, learn how to become a better lover and a, a better seducer, uh, rather than uh, so that they can get a decent girlfriend who likes their personality rather than wants to ride around in their yacht and <laughs> being facetious, of course, but you get my point. I mean, the, like the government's so rational with its uh, spending money. I mean, um, for example, here in Scotland, we were meant to get a parliament building. We did get one in, in Edinburgh and it was estimated to cost between 10 and 40 million and it ended up costing 400 million. And also in Edinburgh, Scotland, we were meant to get a tram network. They estimated it would cost 500 million for around 20 miles of track. It took them absolutely years and years and years to deliver it. And they delivered 12 miles of track for one billion pounds. So that's that's how efficient the government are. I'm sure you, anytime you want, you can just look, take a quick look at um, and, and find all sorts of examples of government being wasteful with money because it's not their money at the end of the day. That's what it comes down to. Finally, I want to um, just reiterate the points made by Mises and then expounded upon by Hayek, which is that no one has the information to centrally plan an economy. So even if you are in there with the best intentions and you just want to help people out, the thing is people have different behaviors and values and preferences. They have different ideas and they have expectations and information and their tastes change constantly. So no one can have all the information of what people need, even if you're trying to meet those needs because they're changing constantly. Like, um, Mises makes the example of like physical phenomenon versus um, human beings and says, well, here's the thing, all iron is iron, you know, it has the same boiling point, it has the same conductivity and so forth, it has the same properties, but people aren't like that. So you can't plan for them, you can't make experiments, you don't get a predictable result with people. You treat two people the same, they'll, they'll, respond differently because their values are different. And what people do with their purchasing choices is they give signals to producers of what to produce and how much and what quantity. So it's not wasteful. The ideas get tested. And whenever you have a centrally planned economy, there's usually famine. I mean, after Lenin's revolution, there was a drought and 5 million people starved. I mean, that's inconceivable. Can you imagine that? Because they were trying to centrally plan the economy. They, um, they, told the farmers they were going to seize the crops so the farmers uh, produced less. What was the point? They weren't allowed to sell it themselves, right? You can't predict 
uh, what people's needs are. I mean, you try and guess. The baker knows how many people buy brown bread and how many people buy white bread in their area on average. And so they can cater to their local area and they still have to throw things away sometimes. And sometimes they'll run out of things because it's unpredictable. But they have roughly enough information to get it almost right most of the time. How's a central planner going to say how much brown bread, how much rye bread, how much white bread for the entire economy. Just forget about bread. That's a trivial example. Try doing that for everything. Well, that's the challenge that every public sector body is facing. I mean, how are they going to reach that ridiculous standard? No one could do it. You, you, even if you were super, even if, I'm, I'm skeptical over whether God could do it. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Um, so, the, the information is distributed amongst everyone and every transaction you make is a signal. And every time we think something's too expensive, that's a signal. And every time we buy something just because it's on sale, that's a signal. And every time we uh, read a consumer watchdog or every time we tell people, no, 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 don't go to that restaurant, it's rubbish, that's a signal. And these are signals that the government doesn't have. The most you can do is vote every four or five years and hope for the best. So this is why public institutions are horrendously inefficient and this is why markets work. So I would just like to um, look at the comments. Someone said, how hard does it suggest non-government solutions to problems in Scottish society without puzzled looks from folks? Well, that's true. I mean, people here assume that if there's a problem, you go straight to the, oh, the government should do this, the government should do that. People don't realize that the government is, the only thing that government can do is either tax you more or threaten to put you in jail or fine you for not doing something. They're not really incentivized to solve problems. They just draw up lines to say, you can't do this, you can't do that. I mean, if we look at security, all the innovations that actually keep your stuff more secure, like alarms, uh, locks, chain, bike lock, and things like that, that's um, that comes out of the private sector. It's like, um, if you, you could put a microchip in a car and if it got stolen, you'd know where the car is. That's all technology that came out of the private sector. We've heard stories of um, people having their car stolen in the U United States with a microchip in it and the police won't even pursue it. So the, 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 basically, I think I've done a pretty good rundown of the main reasons why markets work and, and how those incentives are. The question that always comes up is what about the poor? Okay, even if we do accept that um, markets are better, what what about the people who can't afford it? Well, I mean, there's no engine for bringing down the cost of things that's better than the free market. And people are skeptical about charity. But um, the, the thing is, the role for charities, there used to be friendly societies where people got together and provided um, mutual aid. So if you're all poor, you, you know, you put in a little bit of money every month, you come down, you have a beer, the, the proceeds go in the kitty. If someone loses their job, you're part of a labor union that will ha help you find a job rather than just um, go to the government and lobby. But um, the thing is, the need for these grassroots institutions, we hear, oh, we live in an atomized society. People don't know their neighbors anymore. Well, you don't have to know your neighbors anymore because your neighbors are no longer your source of security. The government, it's always assumed whatever the problem is, the government has to do something. The government can never compete with the combined ingenuity 
of humanity and um the the combined genius of humanity is put to the test constantly and constantly has to adapt to people's ever-changing preferences on the free market so until next time be libertarians don't be a lefty or a righty